Hello, and welcome to The Movies, a pretty self-explanatory podcast. Today I'm going to be talking about Steven Soderbergh's Kimmy, which dropped about a month ago on HBO Max. And Kimmy doesn't refer to Zoe Kravitz in the movie. She plays Angela, an agoraphobic woman living in Seattle. Agoraphobic, if you don't know, just means she's kind of scared of the outside world. And makes sense. This is set around the time of COVID. Everyone's taking proper precautions. But it seems like with her, there's definitely more of like an aversion to everything on the outside. She limits her social interactions with precision. And she even works from home. This is what Kimmy refers to. Kimmy is kind of like Siri or like the Amazon Alexa. It's just this technological assistant app you say Kimmy and then Kimmy helps you with whatever what Angela does is she works for this Kimmy quality control service so she'll listen back to a bunch of uh, clips from people using the Kimmy where maybe Kimmy didn't understand what they were saying and using these quality control people that's you know somebody says uh, I need some kitchen paper and the course you know kimmy kitchen paper what the fuck is that is that like uh you know is that like a baking sheet is that aluminum foil is that paper towels like is that what she means and so these human quality control people get to punch in and say no kimmy she means paper towels so that the ai can start learning what people mean and actually deliver better service but on one of these streams Angela overhears somebody screaming like, no, Brad, no, what are you doing, Brad? Ah, and she thinks, oh, my God, this person might have been attacked. Like, I think I just listened to somebody getting killed. And so the whole movie is about this woman trying to figure out what's going on, trying to help as best as she can. And through that little journey, we start learning more about her and kind of the reasons why she is the way she is. It's in vain of something more like uh, like Rear Window than anything. And it doesn't all take place inside of her apartment, which is a great uh, factor of this movie, that it's not completely limited by the scope. It would be, you know... I worry that we could write some of these movies off as just COVID films, like all these movies that are set indoors in one shot. Uh, I think the... New Emma Thompson positive sex movie on uh, that premiered in Sundance is like that, where it's all just shot in one room, two people talking, and you could say, oh, that's just a COVID movie. You don't have to take it as seriously. But with this one, the scope is expanded, and Soderbergh, who is serving as director and editor and cinematographer on this thing, like, it's all delivered on this vision of trying to get you into Angela's head. I love, I've never seen Zoe Kravitz in a movie that wasn't like, she was fourth build. So I've only seen her, I think, in X Men First Class and Mad Max Fury Road, where she was like way in the background. But this one, I love the way she plays Angela, just a matter of fact, blunt person. It seems like any interaction she's had with anybody, she's already come up with 50 scenarios of how the conversation is going to go or should go. So it's like she doesn't want to waste time with people arguing with her. 
and uh, meticulous. And all this comes in a sense, you know, you see the vulnerability of her agoraphobia. I love this shot where Soderbergh, I think, is under her and she's trying to like put the key inside the lock and just the nervousness and the shakiness of it all brings me into her head, lets me know like how much effort it takes for someone who's terrified of what's out there to, you know, summon up some courage to even step out and open the door. You know, I I don't know if this is a bad reading, but I found her to be a little bit on the uh, on the spectrum. Just the way it seems like uh, other people will try to, I guess, like sugarcoat what they mean to try not to uh, upset her or whatnot. But Angela just sees right through that, cuts to the noise. You know, her trying to convince people to take her seriously about this crime that she's overheard. She has absolutely no time to suffer any bullshit and will immediately cut to the point to get that down. That's just something that I found... Uh, was like a great bit of color in something like this. It's a 90-minute movie. It's less than 90 minutes. But it don't ever feel like the character development was skimped on. I always felt like it was served visually. Uh, she'll... You know, she's hearing the crime, but in her mind's eye... I, th I think in her mind's eye, she's watching the crime in her head. And it sort of comes across... Uh, Every time the crime is in the head, you see it almost like you watch Daredevil, where Daredevil's having the, you know, echolocation creating the actual, like, visual soundscape in his head. It's kind of a bizarre way to explain it. It's very staticky and full of waves and whatnot and ethereal. But it tend, but it let me know immediately how visceral that this feeling is for her, that these... Th this is the unfiltered, raw, processed emotion of listening to something horrific, like a woman potentially being beaten or killed by somebody else, that, you know, even the senses in her brain hasn't connected yet. Even her thoughts of what might have happened are only constructed through, like, an audio-visual form. They haven't fully been processed into, like, in other movies, it would just do, like, a quick dream flash, you know, with this sort of, like, uh, like, hazy outline of white to show, like, that, that, you know, person's dreaming in their head. But this one is so, like I said, raw, and it's unfiltered, and it's quick, and it's blunt, and it's sort of like if you blink once, you're gonna miss something. And just, I don't know, I really liked that there were no frills in this thing. It felt like every character in here served a purpose that, you know, you were just kind of like on this journey and willing to go. The movie never really stops. Uh, one of the best sequences, I think the best sequence in the movie, is when Kimmy finally gets the chance to go outside and the paranoia is on full blast. And you've got Soderbergh. If he's operating the camera, then by God, that man has calves of steel because he's going up, down, he's running alongside Zoe Kravitz all handheld and not like that crazy, you know, mid to late 2000s shaky cam bullshit. It all just feels like of a piece. It fits with her paranoia. It feels fits with her nervousness and agoraphobia. And especially when the stakes start ramping up, that camera work gets even more frenetic. And 
I just love seeing how Soderbergh sort of blocked all this action inside what looks just like a regular city street. It looks like this is happening in real time as Kimmy is trying to uncover this mystery. And so <clears throat> just a bunch of action thrown in a row, all these characters coming in and out and the tension is there, and I'm nervous, and I'm scared for it. There's a sequence that's, uh, like a mini part of that sequence that's shot in a van that scared the shit out of me in a way that... This is going to be a weird reference, and I hope it doesn't spoil it for some people, but for the right people, you might know what I'm talking about. There's an element of watching Slumber Party Massacre where that deals with somebody in a van that is so abrupt and so just like if you think about being a bystander watching this happen in real life it is terrifying how quickly something goes from zero to a hundred you know and i love that soderbergh the way they shoot inside uh this van and get the proper angles and get the proper lenses on it properly adds to the disorientation that moment would provide Again, it's another element of these visuals peering inside Angela's head. And of course, I get some knowledge of what happened to Angela that maybe, like, what happened in her past that makes her so sensitive to this particular case. You know, her boss will be like, hey, look, don't ditch this. We've got people to deal with this. Just report it or delete the audio and move on. You, you, This is not what we do. This is not your job. And... In a way, these people are right. It's not her job. But in a sense, she's just got that nagging feeling she has to keep going. I also like that this isn't a movie. Unlike the trailer, which kind of made it seem like it was paranoid about technology and the surveillance state of people listening to you. This wasn't... The technology here wasn't the issue. And I kind of like that. I feel like it's so easy to comment on the surveillance state and just do this lazy, oh, technology bad, blah, blah, blah. But this movie, through its production design, realizes that just this is the kind of world we live in. This is the way life goes on. And ultimately, it's not about the changes of the world. It's mostly about how we as people react to them and embrace, uh, either embrace change or how we um, act in the face of what's going on. I like that Soderbergh just introduces COVID and COVID regulations as just a thing that's happening. And you could argue that uh, maybe it's the lens of agoraphobia through COVID, but even then, the details that Soderbergh and uh, screenwriter David Cap give An Angela, it doesn't feel like COVID is the reason for why she's like this. It's just a, she's kind of thriving in this environment that now the rest of the world kind of is attuning to what she's wanted to do, which is stay outside the light and kind of just regulate her own experience as much as possible through, you know, because of a thing of fear or just because of a need for control. I found like a little bit that Angela is very much a person that just needs to control and she needs to know exactly everything that's going on at this precise time. Like 
even she's getting into fights with the pe- the construction crew that's above her apartment because they haven't stuck to her schedule and she needs that schedule to be as is. And it doesn't come off like an outburst. Kravitz is so just controlled and kind of holding back her frustration and delivering it with just attitude. And I love, love the way she plays this. It's making me really excited to see Batman more than I already am, just because now I get to see that Catwoman has this sort of, like, precision in her acting. Anyway, that's my little ramble. But uh, as the movie goes on, there definitely turns away from more of, like, the paranoid mystery and more of just, like, thriller mode. And that's kind of where, you know, if you've watched Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window, the last part of the movie does feel a little bit like that, where the stakes get ramped up and there's more action going on and you get to see her, you know, do some extra shit. And that stuff is fun. And I like that Soderbergh, you know, doesn't rely solely on the paranoia and the tension. He gets to let you enjoy a little bit of the fun. It's it's fun. That part is actually fun, and I like that something like this that could have been so dark and so morose eventually lets some levity come in where it gets to be a little bit kick-ass for a while. And again, 90 minutes, the thing flies by, so the action is properly handled, and there's some decent, like, ooh moments, you know? You see something fucked up happen, you're like, oh shit, like, some good stuff. Uh, the score is done by Cliff Martinez, who's most popular for doing uh, Drive, starring Ryan Gosling, you know, the Nicholas Winding Refn thing. And while it does feature a lot of those synth, synthy electronic elements that make something like Drive kick ass, a lot of this is done through an orchestra. Hang on, let me stop my cat. I'm going to lock my cat in the bathroom because he's an asshole. My cat went into my cupboard because I took his cat food. I put a box on top of it so he wouldn't, like, find it. No, he found it. He smelled it. Knocked the box off. Started knocking it over and trying to eat it. So now he's in the bathroom because I already fed him. I already gave him a proper size food, but no, the fucker needs more. God forbid that I do what a veterinary professional tells me to do no he has to engorge himself the fuck anyway back to cliff martinez no uh so there's these electronic elements that are in the film just like these synthy glitchy things there's sort of this ethereal like that's going on but it's being layered with these strings and this orchestral element some people uh reference bernard ehrman another uh, hitchcock collaborator but I just love the sort of uh, slow, sort of like, uh, I don't know why, the strings make me feel like I'm on a boat, just being swayed in and out by the ocean, and there's always this foreboding feeling that's kind of lingering in the background, again, leading into that paranoia, and whenever these horns kick in, it's just a beautifully layered score, it's one of those things that's at sometimes ethereal and pretty, so you can just kind of like put it on without the movie and listen to it. But then when you listen to it with the movie, it's nervous and it's tense, but it's elegant at the same time. It just feels like you're watching this sort of 
ballet go on. I can't really explain it other than that. But I again, I really love the score. Uh, if there's anything I'm kind of like eh with, it's it is a less than ninety minute movie. So there are some moments that I thought we could have taken a little bit more time just to breathe in. But uh, and the last part of the movie does seem kind of like all right, we've got like ten minutes left in this timeline. Otherwise, we're gonna run out of hard drive space. Let's go, 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 go. That that kind of goes on here too. But uh, as far as just like a straightforward kick-ass paranoid thriller with a strong performance and just a solid vision, you know, this is a movie that doesn't feel like, you know, it's weird when you see a movie that you know that there are choices and each of those choices just fit into this beautiful piece. And I don't know, it's, it's nice seeing a movie that just like, you start here, and every five minutes or so, something happens that changes the story for the better. And it's just making good choices. And it's a, it's like driving through a green light and then hitting multiple green lights on your way to wherever you're going. You know, it just feels like the momentum carries you. And that's what I really enjoyed about Kimmy. God, just give it a shot. It's one of those movies that flew under the radar last a couple months ago. I think it was, might have been a couple months ago. I don't know. It's been a long time. I've been meaning to do this review. But uh, it's one that flew under the radar. And I think it's one that if you just want to catch a solid just 90-minute flick that is all character and it's all mood and it's all atmosphere. And it does so... It's a lean, mean movie machine. You know? If you want something like that, I think Kimmy's going to be a good jam for you. But thank you again for hanging out with me. I've been Daniel Berrios. This has been The Movies. You can follow me on Twitter at TheMovies underscore pod. And I've got more reviews coming up. I got Power of the Dog. I got Studio 666. I got Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I got to be catching up on. I don't know when in hell I'm going to find time to watch The Batman. Because my wife wants to go see it. And of course, whenever the parents want to go see something together, that means the kid has to be chunked off. At my mother-in-law's, at uh, my mother's place, Jesus. So, you know, figuring that out is going to be awesome. Uh, I'm actually interested in the new Pixar movie, Turning Red. So there's a bunch of movies that's coming out. And I'm hoping to clean through my backlog and, you know, get back on track to talking about more movies. But anyway, thank you again for sticking around. And until next time, y'all take care. Thank you.